if you, if you just have the guts to go up to somebody and say, this is my first conference. I don't know anybody. What's your name? What do you do? What do you write? That you will find yourself invited to dinner. You will have people introducing you to other people. If you can just take that first step. This is Taylor Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of the kick-ass Vanessa Michael Monroe thrillers, and this is the Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt, one word at a time. Taylor, it's we're into May, and I don't know if, I'm sure you didn't have this where you grew up because you're different, but uh, <laughs> where I grew up, there was always this thing about April showers bring May flowers. Uh, my wife and I live in a condo now, so we don't plant flowers. We used to, and, and I, it used to be something that I really enjoyed. I'm picturing you going out in maybe late April, early May. You've probably already done it. You've, you've brushed the dirt off your knees, and you're all done. Have you planted any flowers? No. <laughs> <laughs> How did I know, know that was going to be the answer? <laughs> you know, in my in my daydreams, I am a very earthy, planty, animal-y person. But in practicality, I am an at-my-desk-for-hours-and-hours-and-hours-and-hours person. And so maybe one day I'll have the opportunity to, you know, be a growy green thumb you know, I managed to keep my house plants alive for a few years. I figured that's oh, a good Oh, that's sign. something. That's something. I re- when we sold the house, uh, my wife was like, thank God we're never going to have to plant the plants again. And I'm like, really? You didn't enjoy that? This was fun. And she looked at me <laughs> like I was crazy. So for, you know, 15 years, we're doing this together, and I thought we were having fun. Well, <laughs> and were we were having fun? <laughs> I was having fun, yes. You didn't know that she wasn't. That's very interesting. I like gardens. I like flowers. I like I like it when it's orderly. I really don't like how quickly weeds grow. We'll see when I finally manage to get my hands dirty how long that lasts. Yeah, we always had to throw mulch around everything to, to kind of stomp down the uh, the weeds to keep them yeah. from growing and then go out and pluck them out. But I, I will say that it's kind of nice not having to deal with that anymore now. Okay, it's Q&A time today, Taylor. We should have special music for Q&A time. You said that last time. I, all right. Thank you for reminding me. I've got to come up with something. And I think I might just stick it right there. So that'll be our Q&A music if I can come up with something. And if I can't, they'll just be me saying, hey, maybe I should have come up with something. Okay. But anyway, we have a first question. And the first question is, it it has to do with... uh, the series that you've written. So it's not a general writing question, but it, it, it can apply to any series. And it, the question is, at this point, you have a good library of secondary Monroe characters you could bring back in another manuscript to help Monroe out should she ever need assistance. Have you ever considered doing this? Hmm. Well, I, I get asked that, and I also get asked if, you know, I'm ever going to ha- do a book that shows more what happened to characters that showed up earlier and stuff. And this kind of actually relates back to an earlier show we did where we were talking about, you know, do you have the material to make a book, a f- to carry a whole book? And one of the reasons that I haven't 
gone and done any of these secondary characters or or I mean some do come back but I haven't focused more on them or done a you know like a Miles book or whatever is that I don't have an idea that could carry an entire book um, there are some fascinating characters that have showed up throughout the years um, Lumani and the doll was one of them um, uh, some of the team members in in the catch whether they were not appreciated by the readers as much as they could have been because I didn't flesh them out enough or because Monroe just didn't like them. Whatever the reason, they are still fascinating characters with fascinating backstories that that could show up in books again. But I don't want to do that unless I actually have a solid idea and a good plot that would utilize them that it didn't feel like I was just writing a book about them for the sake of including them. You know, it felt to me like in reading The Mask, and I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the character's name, who, you know, the sort of the antagonist in The Mask, the, yeah, the, the woman. Sato, yeah. Yes. I mean, yeah. she, she would make a great uh, – she could easily carry a book if you had the right story. She could, but then the problem that I run into as an author is am I just creating another Monroe? Yes, yeah. And, and I don't want to do that. And, and I always have to keep that in mind that, you know, I love that character and my readers love that character, but I can't just keep putting her in different bodies, you know? When, when you were writing the, the, the character in The Mask, did, did it ever occur to you to, to bring her back? Because she was so well fleshed out, I'm reading it thinking, she's going to appear in another book. It didn't occur to me to bring her back, but I did have my editor going... Mm, this is a little too close to Monroe. Mm, this is a little too close to Monroe. And I had to, to take out some things. And, and what it really was is that I write characters that have unique, you know, different backstories. They're, they're born abroad. They're, they're not your typical, um, you know, raised in the United States characters. There are, there's a lot of third culture kids that, that show up throughout these stories. And uh, Nonomi Sato was a third culture kid. And I got to thinking about it because my editor was saying, well, you know, again, here's somebody else who's born overseas and her parents this. I mean, her parents were diplomats, very different than missionaries, but, you know, and I, I'm thinking, but here's the thing. Someone who's born and raised in their same town, doesn't really travel a whole lot, doesn't get out much, doesn't have any experience to create in them these skills or this this need or whatever, they can't be that character. Like all these, it's kind of how we talked about in one of the shows before about many of these characters have, in, in many books, not mine necessarily, you know, either they're alcoholics or they've lost their job or they've had some crisis in their lives to where it's almost become a cliche. But for someone to have this burning rage or this driving need to save people, something had to have happened to them. And there's really only so many variants on the same story that you can tell. So in that sense, because Nonomi, it was somewhat similar to Monroe in the sense that, you know, parents were foreigners, blah, blah, blah. Well, am I just creating another Monroe? And it, and it creates that, that, uh, that issue in, in doing a story of her own. Okay, next question from a friend of the show, Bruce. Bruce writes, before Taylor wrote The Informationist, there was no such thing as a Michael Monroe book. It might be interesting to explore how feedback from Taylor's agent, editor, publisher, and readers helped her fine-tune the recipe for the Michael Monroe book that became The Innocent and how that recipe evolved from book to book. That's an interesting question. It's a really interesting question. 
honestly, it wasn't really my agent or my editor or my publisher that had much of a hand in crafting what came next. It was the readers. And I've talked about this before in, in previous podcasts, how it was through reading readers' responses to Monroe that I came to understand Monroe more deeply than I had by writing her. And because everybody has a different experience when they go into a book, they, everybody brings a piece of themselves into it. And so every reader is going to see the characters in relation to their own experiences with the world or their own previous reading experiences. And, um, and even though I had lived a very storied life and, and had a lot of things happen to me, I didn't have a lot of experience in life before I started writing Monroe. So as readers were comparing her to different things or finding ways to describe her, highlighting aspects of her personality that they, as they understood them to be, I began to have the words to describe who and what Monroe was in a different light than how I had seen her before. She's a bit of a cipher to me when I first wrote her as well. And so it was as readers drew into the story and I like her because, or I dislike her because, and often they were the same reason, um, I was able to take that and go, okay, well, this is who she is and, and just kind of narrow that focus in a little bit and get rid of aspects that I felt were too varied or unnecessary and just kind of, um, I guess, uh, go from fuzzy to clear um, as the books progressed. And that's, that's due to reader feedback. Do you remember the first moment of like, aha, clarity that you got from reader feedback? Um, no, no, I don't. I just remember that at the beginning, I was like, oh, okay, well, that's that's a really interesting way of looking at it. And I remember also feeling like, oh, you're so wrong. <laughs> like when people would call her a, a psychopath or a sociopath, which are actually the same thing. They're just terms that are used interchangeably. Um, because, and I wrote an email about, about this, but uh, sociopaths, what makes them different from every, everyday people is that they do not have the, it's a, it's a brain problem. And they're born that way, and they don't have the ability to empathize. So they don't feel emotion in the same way, and they don't feel fear in the same way that everybody else does. And without that empathy, they, are, um, they have no mechanism to relate to the pain that they're causing their victims or the fear that they're causing their victims. And so they feel nothing instead. And Monroe is absolutely not like that. She feels intensely uh, so much this to the so much so that she often uh, has to just shut it down and block it out in order to be able to focus. And so I get irritated when people would um, ascribe to her characteristics that were clearly um, medically impossible. <laughs> <laughs> Or, um, you know, when they'd say, it's just not possible for uh, someone to speak 22 languages. Doesn't the author know how bizarre that is? I mean, oh, my God, I got so much pushback on that. And so that shows up in future books, trying to put more explanation into it so that people realize this is not as far-fetched as you think it is. Um, so that type of feedback, too, kind of uh, uh, guided future stories. All right. Now, th this is not on the on the question sheet that we're going through today, my list of questions, but this just popped into my head. So it's a Steve question rather than a listener question. Uh, you're, you're talking about the way you sort of learned a, about some characteristics of Monroe through reader feedback. Do you think it would be a good idea 
Um, because readers will use words uh, just because they're the first words that pop into our head that might be psychopath or, or whatever to describe someone, do you think it would be a good idea to give readers the words to describe a, a character? Um, no. No, okay. <laughs> but, and here's why. Um, this is something that was pointed out to me before I ever started writing. Well, I guess when I was in the earliest phases or when I was trying, you know, before I started writing The Informationist, I had, uh, I guess we would have considered it blogging uh, way back then before blogs, but I would write about my experiences in Africa. It was it was nonfiction. Um, and so, you know, if I started in Kenya doing it sort of like emails back home that I would write. And then um, when I was in Equatorial Guinea, I, I handed them to a friend who was a, a very avid reader. And he pointed out something I had said in one of my little nonfiction-y pieces about, you know, um, and that was really hilarious or something along those lines. And he made a comment on it and he says, you never tell the reader how to feel about something. And that stuck with me for a long time. Hmm. And so, um, it, and that, I think that really surprised me too with some of the feedback that I would see from critics of the information was that it was all tell, no show. We're told that she's beautiful. We're told that she can do all these things, but we never actually see her do them. And that really confused me because I was showing her do thing after thing after thing after thing, um, but I guess it didn't. In in, the, in those particular readers' minds, it didn't. It wasn't the same thing that I was talking about, or something like we we're, we're told that she you know was able to go and get all this information, but we never actually see her do it. I'm like that's what the whole book was was her getting information. It's just maybe not the way that that they thought that she was going to be getting it. So. Um, so in, te- in the terms of giving the readers the words to describe the character, probably not such a good idea, But because that's a, a very much a tell-don't-show that you'd want to avoid. But giving them the words in the sense of what the character is feeling, that'd be great. That, that's awesome. But at the same time, at that point, the reader then begins to draw their own, own conclusion. And I just realized, I remembered one word that came up a lot, one phrase that came up a lot, is that her her morality was situational. And that morality never even crossed my mind when I was reading, writing the story. It was that this is, she's doing what needs to get be done in the moment. So when the readers gave me the words, morality is situational, it became a case of, all right, well, if she's the type of person whose morality changes based on the subject, what are the principles that she lives by? And that grounded me more in the decisions that she would make moving forward based on what, and I made it clear in her thoughts why she was doing what she did, or at least I tried to. Oh, that's interesting. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of interesting things in there. Like, I had no idea this whole you were writing while you were in Africa, and somehow or other this was online somewhere? No, 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 no. Okay. Um, it, was, it was just emails or okay. – um, it was before blogging, so, okay. you know, but I'd been collecting them, and at one point I was like, well – Maybe somebody would find these interesting, and I had printed out a bunch of them and said, handed them to this friend and said, well, what do you think about these? Is there, is there anything here? And he said, uh, and, and he's like, eh, you know, it, it, was, it was not the, the level or quality of writing or storytelling that anybody who's familiar with my work would even recognize, I can tell you that. <laughs> so you're saying that you, you didn't just kind of come out of the writing womb this way? Uh, Steve, have you not been listening? 
<laughs> All right, we have one more question. Now, we talked uh, a few weeks ago about writers' conferences, and I said during that show that a question had popped into my head. And thankfully, a reader wrote in a question about, or a listener wrote in a question about writers' conferences that I'm going to use, and then I can ask my question. Uh, the question is, not my question, but the listener question. Would you recommend that new writers and authors attend conferences? And then what should a first-time author expect? So it's two questions, and then I have a third. Okay. So the fun one is that what should a first-time author expect? And there's sort of this meme that I've seen online that different authors share with each other, and it's based on two GIFs. And the first is this... It's from um, oh, Rapunzel, the, the Disney movie Rapunzel, where Rapunzel is wrapped in this pile of hair and her, her little head just peeks up just a little bit like she's scared and she's hiding in her own hair. And this, the, the heading on that one says, um, your first writer's conference or your first whatever, Thriller Fest, Bajrakhan, insert your own thing. Mm -hmm. And then the second one is from some TV show and it's some girl at a bar um or movies girl at a bar and she's just like drunk and she's just like everybody's best friend and throwing herself around and waving her <laughs> purse or something like that and it says at your second writer's conference <laughs> <laughs> and um and it's it's funny because it's so freaking true um you know that especially if you come to a conference without knowing anybody like some many there are people who will come to these conferences as fans who've been dragged there by their friends. So they're there with a group of friends, very different than being an, a, a debut author who's there alone and doesn't know anyone. So I've heard that different genres, conferences are a little different, and I've only ever been to like mystery thrillers, whatever, but mystery thriller conferences are, the, the attendees are very welcoming and very friendly and helpful, and it can be very intimidating when you're standing there at the bar talking with three or four people, you've just written your first book, finally got a contract on it, it's gonna be published in six months, and everyone else in that conversation is either you know on the New York Times bestselling list, has a movie deal, has you know is on their seventeenth book or whatever, and you just feel like, what the heck am I doing here? <laughs> I'm a I'm a fake. I'm a fraud. These people aren't going to like me. But um, it's it's really not like that. It's it's a very welcoming community. Uh, people are uh, the attendees are very happy to welcome you in. You know, you'll if you if you just have the guts to go up to somebody and say, I'm this is my first conference. I don't know anybody. What's your name? What do you do? What do you write? That you will find yourself invited to dinner. You will have people introducing you to other people. If you can just take that first step to to just you know reach out and and not stand there as as a wallflower. You know, um, I'm, let me let me tell a quick story here. I went to a my first conference a few years ago, and I, I didn't know anybody. I mean, I. I shouldn't say I didn't know any. I'd never personally met anyone. I'd interviewed a few people that were there. But I saw this one woman in three different sessions that I was in. So on the third one, you know, I kind of waved at her like, hey, we're on the same path kind of thing. And then went over and talked with her. And her husband was one of the authors that I'd seen presenting earlier. And she was out just kind of like information gathering. He was a, a debut author, and this was his first his. Well, it wasn't his first conference, but he, I mean, he was a sensation. He was a tremendous speaker. 
But I, I started talking with her, and then I went out to dinner with them, and then the next night I went out to dinner with them and like six other people, and the next conference they're there, and we're hanging out all the time. And, you know, now I've got these standing invitations to go to California and stay with them whenever I'm out there for a conference out there. And it's just right. all from walking up to someone and saying, hey, I've seen you in, in two other sessions this morning. We must be on the same track. Right. And, and the one thing you find, too, is that the more conferences you go to after that, the more fun it becomes because yes. your circle of friends and people you know and everything, it, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it just becomes a big, huge party at that point. And people, uh, everyone's introducing you to everyone that they know. Exactly. And by the time you're at your third conference, you're the one introducing you're, people. Exactly. Exactly that. And um, so would I recommend that new writers and authors attend conferences? Yes, absolutely. Just go into it with, you know, muted expectations at first and understand that it might be uncomfortable at first. And the other thing is that most of these conferences are going to try and get an author on a panel. All the authors that attend sign up in time. They're going to try and get them on a panel. And, the you know, it's like herding cats, trying to get 600 authors slotted into however many panels that time slots that fit them when they're flying in and when they're flying out on a topic that actually pertains to something that they write about. It is a nightmare. I, I do not ever want that job. I will never volunteer for that position because I would probably just up and die having to, to figure it all out. And so, you know, if you get put on a panel that doesn't really suit you or doesn't seem like somebody put a lot of thought into it, just bear that in mind and, and roll with it and have fun with it. If you, um, if you're on a panel, just one thing that I, I really wish people would keep in mind is that you are not there to try and sell these people on buying your books because half the people in the audience are going to be other authors. They are not your market. Readers are your market. And so, even, you know, you get people on these panels who are like, my book, my book, my book, my book, just stop talking. You know, you're there to interact with the audience, to engage with the audience, to to answer questions, to have fun. And if if readers do end up people end up buying your book because of that, that's fantastic. But but don't get up there and just talk about how awesome you are and how awesome your books are, because you're really going to want to. Your, your ego is going to be there trying to compete with all these other awesome people. And you're going to be like, hey, hey, I, I'm good, too, you know. And just, you know, be the bigger person and just let it go because the time to sell books is in the bookstores, online, when you're doing your own speaking events, when you are the star of that show. Um, so that would be my little bit of advice to if you're going to be on a panel for the first time, you know, don't be nervous. Everything's chill. Everybody's winging it just like you are. But don't be a, um, a hog. Don't be a table hog. And that's that's really good advice because those people stand out like a sore thumb. And I don't think they recognize it, but everyone in the audience does. All right, here's my question that, that came up, that came to mind for me a few weeks ago while you were talking. One of the things you said was, this was my first conference and everyone comes up to you and says, what do you write? You had just written but not published The Informationist. This was the first time you'd been in front of a a bunch of people asking you over and over and over again, what do you write? What was your answer? And did it get better as you went through the the week yes. of the conference? 
It was, well, I think it went, got better over the years, but <laughs> I really flubbed it for that whole, I didn't like a lot. I learned that it's much easier to have like a business card or a bookmark or something with your book cover on it. Because then when people say, well, what do you write? You can just say, well, here, this is what I write. And, um, it's kind of a, you, you don't, to me, it almost feels like a stupid question because at first it did, because you're at a thriller writers conference. What do you write? Well, thrillers, duh. Um, but really, they're they're looking for it's that's just a short cut question. Yeah, it's to, an awkward way of starting a conversation. Yeah, and so really, what they're asking is, do you write something that might interest me? Do you write something like, who are you? What do you have? And so now my shortcut answer is, oh, here, yeah, here, this is what I write. If you like Jason Bourne or Jack Reacher, I write a character that's you know boots on the ground, international. Give those guys, give those men a run for their money. Bam, it's over, it's done. Um, and that's really what they wanted to know to begin with. But it took me so long to figure out how to actually even answer that question. So I guess if you're attending conference for a first time, like kind of think that out in advance, because it's really you know how when you when you meet somebody, you're like, hey, how are you doing? You're not expecting them to give you a 15 minute rundown on how their health is. It's not really a question. It's a greeting. Right. Well, it's kind of the same thing with, a, you know, well, what do you write? It's it's kind of like a how are you? So you really don't want to spend, you know, 10 minutes going over, well, my character this and the story this. And no, 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 please. You know, that is such a mark of a newbie, of, of somebody who's there for the first time. Just give it to them in 30 seconds and move on to something else. And if they want more questions, they'll ask you, uh, you know, more if they're if they're curious, they'll ask you more questions. But be prepared. People will ask you and have your 30 second pitch ready. And if you're not comfortable giving a 30 second pitch, get the bookmarks made up. It'll cost you $50, and it's an easy way to just avoid that whole thing. Just say, you know, here, this this explains exactly what I write. Tell me what you write, and then you're yeah, done. Yeah, exactly, exactly you're into the conversation. that. Yeah, exactly. All right. We have kicked conferences in the butt one, <laughs> one uh, city at a time, I think, here today. So yes. uh, th this has been fun. Uh, Q&A has, has been what we've done today, and I, I think that should be our call to action. You think? I think so, too. Yeah, we need more questions. So please, guys, um, give us more show material, uh, fun stuff, boring stuff. No, and no boring stuff. How should they get us that? Uh, how should they get us those questions, Taylor? I, get, I forget from week to week. I'm sure you do. Um, <laughs> the easiest way is to email them to me at contact at taylorstevenbooks.com because then I'll get them to Steve and, and we'll sort that out. Or you can get them to me on Facebook, but uh, then I'm just going to have to email them to myself. So really, email is the, the very best way. Contact at taylorstevensbooks.com. All right. Thanks for listening. We will be back again next Tuesday. And, you know, I have to tell a quick story. Okay. You know, we released, I released the shows. When I say we, I mean I. I release the shows. We release the shows every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. And I actually had a listener the other day say, hey, is there no show today? They sent me a message on Twitter. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, did I do something wrong? And I, I think it just turned out that their phone wasn't updating properly. But I was, uh, I was tickled that someone missed it. And, you know, I... I it's like yeah, I didn't get it out in time. To, right? yes. I know yeah. you have a heavy responsibility, Steve. It is. It's it's uh, it's a weight that I carry. With, I think with uh, some grace. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back again next week. See you guys next week.